This is Dating After Death, a podcast sorting out all the complicated emotions that come along with looking for love again after losing our forever person. And I am your currently anonymous host. For today's episode, I had the privilege of sitting down with Megan Horvath, who is actually a children's pastor. I also grew up in the church, and being involved with my church community has always been a really integral part of my life, which I will say has been more complicated since my husband died. Just on a personal note, my foundational faith and beliefs are still really strong, but I wrestle with questions with God all the time. And some of the things that I prioritized when I was younger in dating have become more difficult, just to be honest. So I'm coming at Megan with some pretty hard questions for a pastor. And she had some great answers. So I believe that God calls us to purity. And I believe that even though I've been married, so obviously I'm not a virgin anymore. Each relationship has a start of purity. And while I'm not on that same path, I have an incredible amount of respect for Megan and anyone else who feels like that is the right decision for them at this point in their life. So let's jump into this conversation. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I really wanted to have you on for a couple reasons. Well, two major reasons. The first is that I saw that you had posted some pictures with your boyfriend. Are you calling him your boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just love that. I feel like it's so bold and it's been personally hard for me to do that. So, so much respect for that. And then I also know that you're a pastor so that is a part of my life that we can talk about too, but it's very interesting to me just to hear how that has been going for you as an established part of the Christian community. So mm -hmm. I have lots of questions about all that too. Okay. But before we get to all of that, I'm wondering if you could just start by telling us first about your marriage and sort of life before. Yeah. So my late husband's name is Alex. He was oncology research scientist and we were married in November of 2018. And we were very happy uh, while we were dating and engaged. Life was really great. Mm. And then a month to the day after we got married, we moved out to California. And he took a position at a research lab out there with a former boss that he had had. Um, life started to not be great at all. Mm. I was isolated. I mean, we didn't know anyone. I didn't have any connections for about two months because I wasn't working yet. Life was just really hard. And I thought it was just transition and a lot of changes all at once. And we started going to counseling in January of 2019. So, you know, we were two months into our marriage and we're already in counseling, yeah. which I think is healthy when it comes to transition and things. Absolutely. Um, we had a lot of stress, a lot of crazy things were happening, and he started drinking more. He had occasionally had a drink before while we were dating and engaged, but then he started drinking more. I would not say by any means that we had a happy marriage. Mm -hmm. Our marriage was very, very, very hard. It was riddled with his drinking and his mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if you know this or not, but he, he died by suicide. Yeah. So it was just a very hard year of being alone and not being comfortable really telling anyone what was happening. 
um, you know, we're newlyweds and we're supposed to be happy and we're supposed to be going and doing all these fun things. And that was just not our experience. Yeah. I didn't really know what to do. You know, I am a pastor and I have all these horrible things happening at home. He had like paranoid personality. And so his mental illness caused him to turn on me a lot. Mm -hmm. And it was not a good situation for either of us. And we were seeking help for him, but the drinking was getting worse and worse and worse. And I mean, it was bad. Yeah. That whole year, you know, I was really just praying for a glimmer of hope. I loved this man Mm. so much. I would have stayed with him forever, no matter how hard and how challenging and unhappy it was. I would have been with him forever because that was the commitment that I made. And I knew that the things that were happening were not him, but rather his mental illness that was just causing him to act in these ways. And his mind was just playing tricks on him Mm. all the time. He felt unsafe all the time, everywhere we went. And so we didn't go anywhere. We didn't do anything. And so, like I said, his drinking got really heavy. And as a result, the medications he was on were not effective because Mm. the alcohol was counteracting with them. So this brilliant man, I mean, he was probably the smartest person I've ever known. One of the most compassionate, kind, loving, would give you the shirt off of his back person was just totally different because of mental illness. And it was one of the most heartbreaking things that I had to witness was, you know, he, he no longer even looked like himself at the end. He was always very like physically fit and worked out and we're from Indiana. He was the strongest kid in the state of Indiana for two years. (laughs) And so all the things that he really cared about in life, he stopped caring about. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really hard to see that happen. And then um, he just really lost touch with reality. I honestly, like, I don't think he even knew what he was doing when it happened. Um, You know, I I was still asleep and, and I was just kind of talking to him and, you know, in my sleepy state. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were having a conversation and then all of a sudden it just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think he even knew what was going on, but like I said, I mean, he was probably one of the smartest people I've ever known and his love for other people. He wanted so desperately to take care of the people around him, to love the people around him. He served with me at church um, when we lived in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And it was just so special to watch him love on the kids at church and partner with me in ministry, which was something that I had really prayed about for a partner with yeah. someone who would walk that through with me because it's not an easy life to have Absolutely. in ministry. Yeah. So that was who he really was. Yeah. And mental illness took that away from us. First of all, I feel like that takes a lot of courage to share that whole story. Also, I'm just kind of struck by what a beautiful job you're doing honoring him through that and maintaining his legacy. My husband also struggled with drinking, not in the same degree, but it definitely had an impact on his health. And Mm -hmm. I find it really difficult to talk about because I worry about people's judgment, which I know is silly, but I just... I'm so impressed by the way you are handling that. And thank you. I, yeah, while it was happening, um, I only let a few people in on that because I was scared of what people would say as a pastor. Um, That the pastors have to be perfect. 
Right. <laughs> no, by no means, you know, but there is this perceived judgment yeah. of you um, that you need to be held to a, a different standard. And, you know, I was working in a church that did not say that drinking was wrong by any means, but I knew that the amount that he was drinking was not healthy. Yeah. And I let a couple of people in on that, but I don't think I even let them know to the degree that it was happening. You know, I did end up telling his parents uh, about two weeks before he passed. Mm -hmm. Um, I went home to Indiana for Christmas and he had stayed in California. He was so sick, like um, physically. And I think it was from the drinking that he just, he couldn't travel. And I just needed honestly, I just needed time to decompress a little bit. And so I still went and I talked to his parents about it. And I don't think they could comprehend necessarily how bad it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, I was trying to express it to them, but unless you live it, it's hard to understand what that is like. And so after he died, I went to our counselor that we had been seeing together And he said, you know, I think that by sharing the truth, sharing what actually happened and the story of Alex's life and death could impact other people in a way that that hiding it would never have the reach that it could. And so that has stuck with me. And that's why I've been so open and willing to be vulnerable about the things that I don't necessarily want people to know. However... I think that there is importance in that. And it, you know, I received letters from people at that church after they announced kind of what happened. I mean, they didn't give like details, but just, you know, what had happened a little bit and why I left um, within a week. Like I left, he passed away on Monday and I was gone from the state on Thursday. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it was very quick. I received letters from people saying how, me being open to sharing that with them made them feel safe to share something with someone else from church for the first time. And I had no idea that that would be the impact. Um, But I'm so glad that God has used it in that way. Um, And it's just been kind of a continuous thing. And that's why I've been so open, especially on social media to say like, this is my story. This is our story. And like, there is redemption, there is restoration, but like our God is a God of hope. And so I want to give that hope to other people and let them see that it's okay to struggle and that our God walks with us through those struggles. And when we bring them into the light, that's when healing can happen instead Mm of, you know, just hiding them away. Yeah. So have his parents been supportive of your openness talking about it? So his mom I have no idea because she blocked me on social media the week that he died. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, We have no relationship now. Mm. Um, His dad doesn't have any kind of social media. So his sisters have seen what I've posted and they have messaged me about how healing it has been for them to to read what I've written and um, to interact with with the things that God has been teaching me and showing me through all of this and just sharing memories about Alex. Mm -hmm. So I think that they've shared that with him. He and I have have met up once or twice since Alex passed. It's just kind of hard. It's hard. Yeah. So again, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, it's a little tricky to go from such an intense and 
life-altering story to talking about dating, but that's the topic. It's okay. <laughs> okay. It's totally okay. Okay. I'm used to the like very heavy mixed with the very light. Because... Oh yeah. That's our life. Uh, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, what made you actually take your first step into the dating world? So I probably joined a dating app. So Alex passed away in January and I probably joined one in April because I had this moment where I thought, oh my word, I'm 30 and I'm single again. Mm. If I want to ever get remarried and have a family, it probably needs to happen soon. Like I just had this like life crisis and it was in 2020. So we're in the height of shut down. And I was like, so lonely. And I mean, I was living with my mom and my sister. But I was just very lonely in general, like I didn't have a lot of people to talk to. And so I was like, let's just give it a try. Yeah. And then I did not do that for very long. Because then I was like, what am I doing? This is exhausting. What apps were you on? I was on Bumble. And I think I tried Upward. Oh, I don't know. It's like a Christian dating app. It had like no people in my area. So that was very short lived. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I had met Alex on Coffee Meets Bagel. So that was Coffee Meets Bagel. Yeah. So I had met on there. So I tried that again. And I did meet someone and we chatted for a while. We had one date and it was one of the most awkward experiences of my life. (laughs) And so then I was like, this is not for me. I don't know what I'm thinking. Like, what am I doing? What made it so awkward? Okay, so... (laughs) Yeah, you gotta tell the story. We went to Olive Garden. Okay. We've been talking for quite a while, like just texting. We had talked on the phone, like we had Zoom Zoom called. I mean, it was like, it was 2020. So like, you couldn't really go places. You couldn't really go on a date. So we were having like Zoom dates, which I mean, is kind of odd, but just the world that we were in, we finally met at Olive Garden and this was after probably like five months of talking to oh, him. Oh, wow. you think you would know someone pretty well. Yeah. Oh, no. He showed up at Olive Garden in a suit. Oh. Which, why? <laughs> oh, no. What were you wearing? <laughs> I was wearing like a shirt and jeans. Yeah, yeah which is what like, you appropriately wear to Olive Garden. <laughs> yes, thank you. So he showed up in a suit and he was so awkward. Oh, no. I mean, it was uncomfortable. Like he was, he was saying words that I would never say in public. And he had like said it very loudly. And I was like, like what? I can't say it. (laughs) I'll turn bright red. Like I know that people can't see me on here, but I can't do it. I can't say that word. So (laughs) I feel like I want you to like write it down and show me that I can say it for you. (laughs) I'll tell you later. Anyway, so he said it and I was like, oh my gosh, like it was a sexual word. Okay. okay. And it was not in reference to like him and I at okay. all. Okay. It was in reference to like some book that had been banned. I don't know, but he just like said it like it was no big deal. And I was like, oh my word. <laughs> so <sighs> that okay. was horrible. And we were there for four hours. <gasps> at the Olive Garden? Yes. And he was just like eating breadsticks the whole time. <laughs> How long into this date were you ready to go? I'm about 20 minutes. Oh my gosh. Maybe not even. How did you stick it out for four hours? Um, I pretty much just shut down. Oh my gosh, Megan. <laughs> I was so like my grief manifests with like exhaustion. Okay. And I was like, 
falling asleep at the table. Oh, no. <laughs> I need to leave. But I felt bad because he had driven pretty far. And like, yeah. you know, we had been talking for so long. I was like, I guess I need to give this a shot. And yeah. then I was like, I don't need to give this a shot. Like, this is a no-go for me. Oh, my gosh. I feel like you need so. an out friend. I'll be your out friend. <laughs> well, hopefully I don't need one anymore. Ever yes, again. yes, yes. True. Everybody but, needs an out friend. <laughs> yes. It would have been a good idea, but I did not do that. Yeah. Okay. So, so this guy, you broke it off with after that. Yes, I did. And then I just deleted all the apps and I don't think I was on them for a long time. And then I moved to start a new job in September of 2021 okay. and um my best friend um she had gotten divorced in the in the meantime as well and so she was on the app and she was like talking about like some guy she was talking to whatever and I was like you know what let's just give it another go I guess and so nice. I did and it was pretty quickly that I matched with Travis, my boyfriend. Okay. Yes. And I was like chatting with several people at once, which yeah. is exhausting. It's so exhausting. Right? Like, and I know that that's like modern day dating. Like that's normal. It's okay. But it's just like a lot to put yourself out there to, to anyone. And then oh, to yeah. do that multiple times is just... Well, because so some of them fizzle, right? And so right. then you... You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Right. It's exhausting. Actually, on, on the first date with my boyfriend, mm -hmm. I said something to him like, oh, so remember how we we're talking about this? And he's like, that wasn't me. And I was yeah. like, no, no, it was definitely you. He's like, nope, wasn't me. <laughs> That's not me. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so I met, Tra I met Travis on, it must have been on Bumble. Yeah, we started chatting like at Thanksgiving and... We hit it off and I invited him to my house for our first date. With, oh. Looking back, I mean, like, thankfully, he's a very safe person and yes. it worked out. However, yes. that was like a really odd choice that I made. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it for other people. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you're listening. I know that's not the safest option. Not the safest. <laughs> and definitely tell somebody who you're with and their phone number. <laughs> yes. So my best friend, I called her when I knew he was coming and she was actually on video chat in my kitchen. Intentionally? Did you yes. do that on purpose? Yes. Okay, smart. Yes. So you had like a little safety precaution. I did. I did. Granted, she lives like an hour away from me. Yeah. So she couldn't have done anything, but her husband is a cop. So I was like, I feel like that's oh. a safe choice. For sure. So. <laughs> so you guys really hit it off. We did. It was like very comfortable. Like we had already texted for a while and we had talked like we had texted about really deep things um mm. he's divorced obviously I'm widowed and so we had talked about just a lot of life a lot of hard things a lot of life goals um if we were to ever get married again like what that would have to look like for us mm. and we were very upfront with each other from the very beginning that's which nice. was very different from the other people I was chatting with um, and so he, and, and that was initiated by him, honestly, um, just mm. because of, he doesn't want to get married again and have it happen the same way. Yeah. And so he's become very intentional in knowing what he's looking for. And so he was very upfront with me, like, this is what I'm looking for. If this is not you, then sorry. Yeah. And so great. that, that gave me the freedom to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so like I said, like on our first date, we had already 
talked about a lot of the hard things. So it was really just fun. And we just got to like see each other, obviously in person for the first time, which was fun. And um, he had asked me on his way because he lives an hour and a half away from me, which is funny because we matched while I was at my sister's house. So so they only live 20 minutes apart. Okay. (laughs) So I actually live way out of what his sphere of availability was. You tricked him. I did. (laughs) I did. So on his way here, he had asked me, like, would it be okay if I felt comfortable if I hugged you when I first got there? And I was like, yeah, that'd be okay. And when he got here, he he did hug me and I just like melted. Like, I just, it was in that moment, I was just like, I feel so comfortable with this person. Mm. And like, I can tell that then like the conversations we had the rest of the evening, like, he just had so much care for what my comfort level was, what his comfort level was, just like making sure that we were like on the same page with things and just having fun with each other. Um, yeah. I burned our meal. I just wasn't paying attention, you know? Like, Sounds like a movie. I know. Honestly, we kissed on our first date, which again, I don't necessarily recommend, ladies, if you're listening. <laughs> I mean, it's not for everyone. And I never thought that that would be me, especially as a widow. But yeah. I mean, we were standing in my kitchen and I was like cooking tortillas <laughs> and he like gave me another hug. And I just like, our faces were so close. Mm. <laughs> and I was just like giggling and mm. you can always tell what's going on in my mind. Yeah. I have no filter. And he's like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. Your face is so close to mine. Like, I keep thinking you're going to kiss me. And he's like, is that what, like, do you want me to kiss you? Because I will. Like, I'm good with that. Uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so, anyway, our first date was just really easy, really comfortable. And I kind of knew in that moment, like, this is a good fit. Yeah. Um, we both love Jesus. We both have been through hard things. So we know how to interact on those hard things with each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, my refrigerator had like five pictures of Alex on it. My yeah. house was still, you know, it still had quite a few pictures of Alex around. And nice. so probably a week into like, we've been dating and like, we decided pretty quickly, like, okay, we're going to be exclusive. Yeah. We're going to be boyfriend, girlfriend, like whatever, you yeah. know? Um, and he was like, by the way, I was like the pictures. And he was like, yeah, Mm. we decided early on, like, we're going to be open and honest with each other. And that's really the only way that this thing is working. Um, because things that I think are okay, sometimes make him uncomfortable. And there are also some things that make him uncomfortable that I'm like, I'm sorry, that's just the way it's got to be. Yeah. Also the difference between like divorce and widowhood Like there are some similarities, but it is very different. Absolutely. And so talking through those differences of like, well, I still have pictures up because he is still like my husband, even though he's dead. Like, it's just an, it's a hard thing, you know, for someone who is divorced, like cut that person out of their life to to understand sometimes. Um, So a lot of the pictures have come down um, as Travis and I have gotten closer Um, and have you been okay with that in general? I have actually, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to take them down or not. And there is still a few, um, in Mm -hmm. different places in my living room, but I honestly, as I took them down, I knew that if I didn't feel okay with it, that I would put them back up and that he would just have to be okay with it or not. Like, that's just the bottom line. I took him down and I, I did it slowly. Like I took a couple at a time and put them yeah. in different places. And 
um, it felt okay. And I think that one of the things that has been kind of harder for Travis to understand in my widowhood journey is that, you know, my marriage was so hard. Yeah. So if my marriage was so hard, why has it been so hard to let go, not let go, but just move forward from yeah. Alex or, you know, move forward with Alex. And it's just an awkward thing, you know? Um, yes, but it's still trauma and he was still your husband. And exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what we've, what I continuously talk to him about. I'm like, you know, I married him. I made a commitment to him. I loved him. I do love, like, I do still have love for him. And I, you yeah. know, do I still wish that he was alive? Of course. Do I wish that he could have been healed on earth? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I, I fully wish that. However, I know that he is fully healed in Christ. And so, yeah. you know, that's far better, but it's far worse for me, you know? So it's, yeah. it's just one of those yeah. things. So. And it sounds like it's, I mean, so healthy to talk about and that you guys are having those really good conversations. And Yeah, we are. And like I said, that's been kind of our biggest thing is, you know, we just have to have open communication about it because if we don't, then we're just going to bottle those things up and it'll never get better and it'll just continue to be awkward and uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm so used to talking about Alex on social media, yeah, sharing about my grief journey and sharing about those things that it's just natural for me to talk about him a lot. Yeah. He was my husband. So like, yeah. that's a natural thing to do. I was doing that a lot with Travis yeah. and he was like, you only ever talk about really good things about Alex, because that's what I'm used to talking about. Yeah. Because I do want to honor him and the person that he truly was and not the illness that he had. So that has been a challenge as well to kind of talk about him less with Travis specifically. Mm. And there are still definitely moments where I express something to Travis about Alex and he accepts that and handles mm -hmm. it well and is very loving and kind to me. There are even times where I cry and Travis gives me a hug and loves me. And, but he doesn't necessarily understand right, obviously yeah. what it feels like or what exactly I'm going through. But he's willing to care for me because he loves me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's, that's really what you can ask for. And then you grow in that together, I'm hoping. Yeah. But, like you figure it out together. We absolutely already have been. So yeah. that's kind of the benefit there. Absolutely. I mean, I find that is true in my relationship as well. Like he doesn't always know what to say, Yeah. but he's very good at listening and kind of just following my lead. I appreciate that. You yeah, know, that's good. So Megan, you um, are doing something that I think most of us dating in the widow community are not doing. And you've committed to celibacy until marriage again. Yes. So I have. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so I believe that God calls us to purity. And I believe that even though I've been married, so obviously I'm not a virgin anymore, each relationship has a start of purity. I just want to honor God in that. And Travis and I have talked about it a lot. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> because, you know, it's hard going from it being okay and yeah. being what's normal and what is good for your marriage right. to going back to yeah. not doing that <clears throat> again. 
Um, so I'm not going to say that it's easy by any means, yeah. Um, yeah, but sure. we both committed to that decision. Would he want a different decision? Probably, but yeah. if he, gosh, <laughs> <laughs> my friends are going to listen to this and be like, Megan. That's anyway. just honest though. I mean, it is. and that's not even about you. That's right. Exactly. We all have desire. Yes. So that's okay. We do. So we've talked about it a lot. We've talked about what purity looks like. Mm. So we have some pretty strict boundaries that we will not go past. And he has been very intentional about that, even though that's not necessarily what he would want. Mm -hmm. He wants to respect those boundaries because we've set them. That's very Um, impressive. Yeah, I know. And he, he doesn't ever want me to feel bad about if we do something and then later I feel guilty about it. Yeah. So he doesn't want that to happen. And he knows that it will because of who I am. Yeah. Alex and I, I mean, we fought hard for purity before marriage. And honestly, in our marriage, then that part of our marriage was a struggle just because he was sick and he just had no, it just wasn't part of our marriage, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think um, a great number of my very close girlfriends are all from the church. And mm -hmm. so we talk about this kind of thing a lot. And I feel like a lot of my friends who worked hard for purity before their marriage and then got married, struggled because Mm -hmm. to make that transition is challenging. It is. And I think that the way that we talk about it in church oftentimes does a disservice to those of us that do make that choice because we spend so much time saying it's bad, it's wrong, it's bad, that then Mm -hmm. when we turn that corner it yeah. goes one day it's bad and wrong to one day it's good and yeah. helpful and what you should want to beautiful. do. Yeah. And yeah, beautiful. And it's it's hard to, to turn that corner, you know? Absolutely. And so I think that the way that we talk about it, like we still need to talk about the fact that it is God's design mm-hmm. in this way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you the question that I think I've carried my whole life, which is, okay, so just for context, Mm -hmm. so we really wanted to go into marriage pure, but we did Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, do you feel like holding sex until marriage will make you make a decision to get married faster than if you would allow yourself that pleasure? That's a really great question. (laughs) You know, with Alex, we got engaged very quickly mm-hmm. and I can't say whether that impacted our decision or not. I mean, it probably did to some degree. Like I knew very quickly with Alex, like this is the person that I want to spend my life with. Yeah. However, because we were also fighting hard for purity, you know, it, it made it a struggle. Yeah. We were engaged for nine months, which was a long engagement <laughs> um, just because we <laughs> hadn't been together very long when we got engaged. So it was like a, you know, a compromise yeah. for our families kind of thing. Okay. But with Travis, we've actually talked about that a lot. Mm. And I think part of the reason that I want to have very strict boundaries is that I don't want our physicality to influence how fast we move mm-hmm. or what my feelings are towards him or um, like our emotional connection So we only get to see each other in person like once or twice a week. Like, so maybe like sometimes he stays the night with people from church. So that's like, we're so thankful for that because then we get to see each other two days instead of just 
one day. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. hard because you want to spend time with your person. But for us, you know, he's not staying over at my house. He's not doing those things. I'm not staying over at his house. So it yeah. does make it challenging. But like I said, I told him from the beginning, you know, I want us to have a strong spiritual connection, emotional connection, and like the physical, like we are very attracted to each other. I'm not yeah. trying to downplay that. But I wanted to make sure that the other stuff was set and that yeah. the physical doesn't impact our trajectory. So yeah. I'm really trying to make sure that the answer to your question is no. Yes, that's great. Because, <laughs> you know, I think when I think about how many people in the Christian community get married so young mm-hmm. and so quickly, there's always this sort of like, elephant to the room of like, well, they were desperate to have sex. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I went to a Christian college. Yeah. And I think that that, I'm not trying to say that any of my friends, you know, got married for that reason, because of course they didn't. No, but, definitely not. <laughs> but I mean, it might be a possibility. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what that part of their relationship looked like. I just yeah. know, you know, I, Alex and I were a little bit older. I was 28 when we got married. So now I'm 32. And I think, at this point, what I used to say with Alex is like, we're moving quickly. Like we both know what we want in life. Like we are grown adults. Like we're, you know, we're not babies anymore. We know like what life will look like for us. And I feel like the same is true for Travis and I, like we both know a lot more now than we even did four years ago. And, you know, we've both been through hard things and we both know what we want in life and where we're going in life. And that matches up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I have not talked to any other pastors about my sex life, except you, since you follow my page. (laughs) So um, I, you know, have a little bit of shame that I'm going to pretend I don't, but it's fine. I'm not judging you by any means. There is no shame coming from me. I know that. Otherwise, you just wouldn't follow my page. I think. (laughs) (laughs) So interestingly, in this, I did not plan this. It just kind of happened. But today, I actually just posted basically about the topic of self-gratification and mm-hmm. how um, one of the things in my mind for so long before I started dating was just like, this isn't, I'm tired of doing this by myself. It's not the same and all of that. And so then another woman who follows the page shared it. She is very vocal about her life as a Christian and mm-hmm. her sister quickly reached out to her and said, the church isn't going to like that. Like people are going to have some opinions about that. Yeah. And she was like, well, I wonder what they are because this is a real part of widowhood and it's a struggle. So I said, well, I'm talking to Megan today and she's a pastor. Not that you can speak for all pastors, of course, but we were both very curious. What do you think the stance is on that? Gosh. Okay. I don't want you to have to speak for the church. So like, maybe let's make the question, how do you approach that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a hard question no matter what, because again, you went from having something to not having something and that discrepancy is really challenging. Um, You know, I hear a lot of widows talk about widow fire and, you know, just like, I think the other thing that they call it is like skin desire or something like Mm. that. Just saying that makes me be like, oh, (laughs) I know. Right. Don't Um, call it that. So sensual. I wish I could remember what the actual phrase is because I don't think it's that. Skin <laughs> anyway, you hear me talk about widow fire. And I think that, you know, I think it's a real thing. I think it's definitely yeah. 
not an easy thing to control. Yeah. So the widow's fire, just the idea that like you seriously crave intimacy and sexual contact or or just like the feeling of another human and touch and all of that, like very intensely. Yeah. And I think that grief almost intensifies Mm. our desire to be comforted physically. And so it does make it really hard Mm. to resist that desire. But I think, again, this like reset idea of like purity in your relationship. And I think that that includes that way okay (laughs) I don't know I don't know I I mean it is a challenge to seek purity in that way I will say that is then you know connected to like pornography yeah I think it can be yeah and I think when it transitions into that then I think that that is destructive sure yeah because I think that that is destructive in relationships and so then later when you get into like if you start a new relationship then that becomes a problem and it's so addictive okay so there's this gray area so I'm totally with you on the pornography thing that's that would also be my personal stance that that's yeah that's dangerous and I know not everyone will agree with that and that's okay For me, there's this gray area, and I'm not going to pretend like this is always the truth for me. But if you are pleasuring yourself thinking about your spouse who is now dead, is there anything wrong with that? Mm. Clearly, I am not a biblical scholar. It feels to me like I'm air quoting like the sin here is the lustful desire involved with the act. And so then I feel like, but lusting after my husband isn't wrong. Maybe the issue is that. I rarely think about my husband anymore if I, if I do it right. So maybe that's where the slippery slope is. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, there's so many things just in this whole conversation about purity and sex and then the complication of being a widow and starting over. Essentially, I am intensely impressed that you've been able to do that. And I think it was a conversation I had with myself mm-hmm. right after my husband died and I was quickly like, nope. (laughs) So kudos to you. I'm very impressed. Purity is not easy at any stage. (laughs) That is true. Okay, I'm going to stop embarrassing you. Are you working currently as a pastor in a church? I am. Okay. Um, I'm a kid's pastor. Love it. So I, yeah, (laughs) it's fun. It's cute. (laughs) I was still doing a lot of ministry things during, you know, the height of COVID, but not in a paid capacity. So it was just kind of when I felt I could. Yeah. And then I also was kind of considering social media, my ministry platform at that time. Mm. I was in my blog, like I was putting so much content out about hope and about grief and a biblical look at grief and how do we do it better in a way that doesn't make us feel so bad about ourselves when we're not like progressing the way that people think we should, you know, um, and what that actually means. But now I am a full-time children's pastor again, and I am very happy to be doing that. Good. So as a, sounds like very integrated part of the church community, how do you feel like the community itself has responded to you having a boyfriend and kind of taking on this new stage in life. Yeah. 
everyone has been very supportive Good. to my face. I mean, I'm, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see that because I don't, I don't know what people might say yeah, behind real. closed doors or whatever, but every time I post a picture with Travis, mm-hmm. it's like the most liked thing. Yeah. You know, I think that people are just really happy to see me happy again and to see that, you know, they're, there is a thing about moving forward. I am very careful to never say like I'm moving on, but I'm moving forward. Mm -hmm. You know, Alex will always be a part of my story and he will always be my husband, like my first husband, you know, but there are new parts of my story being written Mm. and I'm not defined by that one part of my life. And so I think people are just really supportive of seeing that and have mostly been happy for me. Um, my mom, my sister, and one of my best friends have been cautious. Like they, mm-hmm. they love Travis. Like they all really like him. Um, but they just want to make sure that, you know, I moved really quickly with Alex. They yeah. want to make sure that I don't do that with Travis, that I take the time to really process things as they happen. Yeah. And the church that I work at now, oh my goodness, they have accepted Travis with open arms. They really like him, which is good. Yeah. Because he's fully integrating himself into that church community and they have been very welcoming of him. And also Megan, I'm so happy for you because that's a really big deal to find somebody that you can share that part of your life with and who's willing to just step into that. And I feel like that really takes a stand up man to step into his faith like that. And I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Ministry life is not easy. Yeah. And that's something that I've talked to Travis about a lot. People look at us kind of differently. Yeah, for sure. You all do a different standard. Yes. They're watching our relationship. They're watching the way we interact with people. If we do get married and have kids, they'll watch the way we raise our children. It's just a very visible role. Yep. And a lot of eyes are on me. Yeah. That's something we talk about a lot. Yeah, that's hard. (laughs) It is. Okay, so I have decided to build a playlist to share some songs they recommend for others in this situation. So can you tell us a little bit about the songs you chose? So Walk Down Memory Lane, that one came up maybe four or five months ago. I heard it on Instagram and I was like, oh my word. Yes. I think every widow that has heard it has had the same thoughts as I have. I hadn't heard it actually until I added it to the playlist oh, really? and I was like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Girl, right? Yeah. Um, And then, so Another in the Fire, that one honestly got me through <laughs> The first like three months after losing Alex, the song was brand new at that time. And just the idea that even in the moment that he was dying, he was not alone. And that in the moments that I'm walking through the hardest thing of my life, I am not alone. And I think that knowing that I have a good God that walks alongside of me and protects me and guides me in the midst of those things is very important and brought a lot of healing to my life Mm. and just helped me to hold on to that hope. I mean, obviously I grieved really hard, but I also kept a lot of hope at the forefront of that grief in knowing the hope of Jesus Christ and like that Alex is not alone and that I am not alone. Yeah. It's beautiful. Megan, I really put you on the spot with some hard conversations. And I really thank you for talking about it because I know this is not the kind of thing that most pastors are talking openly about. So I'm intensely grateful and so impressed by you. And I wish you and Travis the best. Thank you very much. 
thank you for inviting me. This was exciting. All right, keep us updated about how it's going. All right. Thanks, Megan. Bye. Bye. So normally we end these episodes with quick questions for our guests, but I felt like I had put Megan through enough. I just want to thank her again for her vulnerability and strength in speaking both about the way she lost her husband and her convictions to her faith. This has been Dating After Death. We'll see you next time. Oh, and I produce and plan and edit this episode all by myself. And my friend Jamie Guerra, she writes the music. <laughs>